So, you can open your Bibles. We are in Acts 21 this morning. Acts 21 is where we are going to be, um, and we're going to muscle through, I think, the whole chapter, Lord willing, this morning. Um, while you're turning there, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in a seat back, and there should be a bookmark that gets you close to Acts, I think. Um, I think it's around 950, 960, somewhere in there, if there's not a bookmark in the Bible. Um, but while you're turning there, I'm sure some of you have noticed, if you're here with us, you have noticed uh, the back of the sanctuary has gotten a facelift. It's looking bright and clean. I can't, can't stop looking back there. Uh, and so I would like to thank uh, Daniel and Michael and the guys at DMJ uh, for coming in. They worked all week to rip down walls and put walls back up and make it look pretty and, and awesome. It's a work in progress. We're still working on seating and redoing that back room. But thank you guys because I know how hard y'all work to make that happen. Um, and uh, I'm just so excited for just a, another little bit of a facelift. We're, like I said, still working on putting some color back there, putting some new chairs and such. But, um, man, it looks good. I'm so excited. I'm so, man, it's just so bright. It's, it's like distracting almost. It's great. Um, Acts 21 is where we're going to be. I, uh, I hate being late to things. And I get it from my mom. Um, she is more punctual. She is the most punctual person I have ever met. She's one of those people who, like, if you're 15 minutes early, you're still kind of late. Like, she wants to be the first person at the party. She wants to be there as soon as possible. Um, she doesn't like to be rushed. She doesn't like to, she likes to be able to account for all of the different possible things that could happen. Uh, there's just a, like a running joke in our family where there are times where she would tell us a party or a dinner or something was happening at a certain time. And then we'd all get in the car. And once we drove away, one of us would be like, okay, mom, what time do we actually have to be at this thing? You won. Where we go? Oh, yeah, we're going to be 45 minutes early to a thing. And that's just how I grew up. And so that kind of got instilled in me that um, I realized that, you know, there are times I can't control whether or not I'm late. But when I can control it, if I'm still running late, it irritates me to my core. Um, I've tried to be cool with it. I've tried to, to mellow on some of that. Um, having two kids slows you down. Uh, so I've had to try and account for that. But in general, if I can be early to something, if I can be there and not be rushed, uh, I would much rather do that, which means I also don't like to get sidetracked with pit stops and interruptions and, and the, just the chaos of life. It sometimes can make me uh, very anxious. We've been walking through uh, this book of Acts for coming up on a year now, and Paul is on a journey. He's basically finished his third missionary journey, and now he is headed to Jerusalem, which he thinks is going to be a small, short stop in Jerusalem, and then on to Rome. He doesn't know that it's going to, he's going to get delayed in Jerusalem, um, but he is on his way to Jerusalem, and his whole trip is completely made up of pit stops and interruptions. He has intentionally chosen to slow down even though he's on the clock, even though he's trying to get to Jerusalem by a certain date so he can celebrate, um, so that he can celebrate with the brothers and sisters there, he's still taking his time to engage with people. Though he was on the clock, he wasn't going to allow that to stop him from investing and connecting with other people along the way. And so that's what we're looking at this morning. I'm going to pray and we're going to jump in uh, to Acts 21. So please bow your heads and pray with me. God, we thank you for today, Lord. We pray for our kids upstairs, for Grace Place, for the, the kids, that they would come to know you, that they would know your goodness, your 
awesomeness, your holiness, your love for them. We pray for the leaders of Grace Place, those serving this morning, that you would give them an extra dose of energy and fun and patience and um, presence as they teach and sing and lead and reflect your love onto the kids of our church. Lord, we pray that you would move through that ministry, you would move through Grace Place um, and save those kids at an early age, that they would walk with you for a long, long time. God, we thank you for those who serve in that ministry, and we pray that you would continue to call people uh, to step in, to pour into the next generation and future generations of your sons and daughters. God, you have us in Acts 21 for a reason this morning. Everything has a reason for why we do what we do, um, because you are in control of all things at all times. God, we thank you for this chance to open your word, to hear from you, to read and study and engage with you. God, whatever kind of week, whatever kind of morning, whatever kind of year we've already been having, we came here today to get some rest, to get some connection with you, to hear and engage with you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to do that. Help us to be present this morning. Help us to set aside the distractions and baggages and to just be with you today. Help us to see what is hard to see. Help us to hear what is hard to hear. Help us to understand what is hard to comprehend. And help us to respond when you tell us to move. Lord, as I preach, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. We're going to be in Acts 21. I'm going to read uh, a section and then we'll go on through. So Acts 21, starting in verse 1. And when he had parted from them and set sail, he came by a straight course to Cos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there Patera. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, he went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there, uh, for there the ship was, un- was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Manasseh of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom... We should, we should lodge. Discernment and trust is what we see over and over here. So Paul at the beginning leaves Miletus. Remember, we left him in chapter 20. He had called the Ephesian elders to Miletus, a town about 30 miles south of Ephesus, to have this emotional goodbye with them. 
And he's headed to Jerusalem because he wants to be there for the Pentecost celebration. Now, these opening verses kind of read like a travel itinerary, right? We, we went there, we went here, we sailed over there. Um, we have a map. We got a map up, maybe. We got a map. There it is. Go back. Go forward. Nope. Other way. There we go. All right. So we're in the top left uh, to Miletus. He goes from Miletus to Kos to Rhodes to Patera. Sails all the way down to Tyre, Ptolemais, Caesarea. And then eventually he will make his way to Jerusalem. Those opening verses, like I said, it kind of reads just like a travel diary, right? We went here, we went there. And honestly, like there are places in scripture that for us being in today's culture, today's time, we are separated from the from Luke and his writing by generations upon generations, right? It's easy to, to scan those verses, those first three or four verses, and just kind of like, cool, he went here, he went there. I've never been to any of these places. I could barely find them on a map. What does that have to do with me? And it's easy to kind of just see what's the point of this. When we come to Scripture, there are times to just come to Scripture and let it wash over you. There are times to just sit and read it. And even if you don't understand every word and every passage, to just keep putting good in. It's part of why we're memorizing Scripture, right? Because God's Word is going to move in our hearts. It's going to change us. Even when we don't necessarily understand everything going on. The more we can engage with God's Word, the more good it is going to do in our heads and hearts. But to truly grow in understanding God and the nature of his revelation, there are times where you have to do some work. There are times where we need to go into the text and ask questions. There are times where we need to dig into spots when we can go and be challenged and be encouraged. And the ways we're going to do that is by asking questions of the text. See, there's a difference between reading scripture to check a box to say, okay, I did it for the day, and then trying to actually learn and grow in your relationship with God. There are, even in these opening verses, a couple of things that, while it seems like Luke is just writing down port cities, throughout this travel, even though Paul was on the clock, we see he's trying to get somewhere. He's trying to get to Jerusalem, but his itinerary is all built around people. It's got a special emphasis on people. In verse 4, he's entire, and it says he sought out the disciples. He went looking for fellow Christians. In verse 5, the wives and children, as he's leaving Tyre, the wives and children accompany the group out of town. They spend time praying together on the beach. There is this intense goodbye because they care for one another. In verse 7, Ptolemais, they stay with the brothers for a few days. And then they make their way down to Caesarea, and it says they stay with Philip the Evangelist. In these verses from 7 through 12, Caesarea, we get some, we get some callbacks. For those of us who have been in Acts for this whole time, there's some names that are popping up that we haven't seen for us in many, many months. They go and they stay in the house of Philip. We haven't heard anything from Philip in a long time. He was one of the original seven chosen to be deacons. When the church was growing and there was an issue with the distribution of food to the widows, seven men were chosen as deacons to oversee some of the day-to-day activities and work of the church, and Philip was one of those seven. That's way back in Acts 6. That was like July of last year. Philip was also a passionate preacher of the gospel. He preaches the gospel to Samaritans. He sees fruit. We see Samaritans, these people who the Jews and the Israelites saw as outsiders. Though they had the same bloodline, the Samaritans had mixed, and they saw them as enemies. They were constantly at war, at, at fighting with one another. 
If you were a Jew and you had to cross to get to the other side of Samaria, you would go the long way not to cut through that city and through that area. And yet Philip ends up there and he preaches the gospel and Samaritans become Christians. He preaches the gospel and he even has the interaction with the Ethiopian person who on the waterfront in chapter 8. Where he has this message where he's reading scripture and Philip is there to help under, help him understand scripture. And then it says the spirit takes Philip away. And that's the last we heard of him was Acts chapter 8. He's clearly traveled a little bit. And here he meets Paul. And they're sharing stories and they're spending time together about how God has moved and, and how God has showed up in all these different places where I got to share the gospel with this person. I got to share the gospel with this person. And we saw these lives be changed. And I wonder how long it took Philip to say, you know, the reason I was able to preach the gospel in Samaria, the reason I was able to have this interaction with this Ethiopian leader who then takes the gospel back to other parts of the country, the reason I'm in Caesarea and no longer in Jerusalem is, you know, Paul, this big persecution happened in Jerusalem where when the church was just kind of starting to get its legs under it, these leaders of the temple came and they were busting down doors and they were dragging people out and they were trying to kill off the church. And Paul, I'm pretty sure you were in charge of that. Paul was the reason. Remember, the gospel spreads. The gospel starts in Jerusalem and it spreads out. And the reason that the gospel spread, the reason that the Christians went was because of intense persecution happening in Jerusalem. And the man leading the charge was Paul. And now here we are 25 something years later and Paul is a guest in Philip's house. We see how the gospel changes and takes relationships that seem broken and dead and, and angry, and he brings new life there. While Paul was focused on his goal, he, was so, he wasn't so driven, though. As he's focused on getting to Jerusalem, he's not so driven that he would alienate and avoid his brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, he seeks out opportunities to engage with them and spend time with them, even if just for a day or two. And as Paul's ministry in these three or four verses, as he goes from port city to port city and he finds people to engage with, he spend, finds people to spend time with, it's very similar to Jesus' own trek to Jerusalem. Both Jesus and Paul knew what awaited them when they went to God's city. In Luke 9, 51, it says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to Jerusalem. That's talking about Jesus. From that point, from Luke 9 through the rest of Luke's gospel, Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem to be there during the Passover. Even though he was on the clock, even though he knew he had this spiritual appointment to make that had eternal ramifications for all of humanity throughout all of time, he still made sure that Luke's gospel goes on for many, many chapters because Jesus is still making sure to teach and to heal and to engage with crowds and to spend time with Mary and Martha and Zacchaeus. Jesus was always driven by relationships and by people. It is relationships and people that take Jesus to Jerusalem. He knew what was waiting for him. He knew that he would be bound and beaten and abandoned and killed for the sake of people. Us, people, all people. So that we could have a right relationship with God. So that sin would be punished once and for all. And therefore, sin would be forgiven once and for all through the death of burial, and resurrection of Christ. The gospel, the good news of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is about relationships. It's about people. And Paul was driven by the gospel, so he is driven by relationships, specifically his relationship to Christ. 
Paul knew what was, what was waiting for him in Jerusalem. So much of Paul's ministry is marked by affliction and attacks for the sake of Jesus. And he knew for a long time that that would be the case. Way back in Acts chapter 9, God speaks to a man named Ananias. And he tells him, I want you to go into the city. I want you to go find Paul and lay hands on him to receive his sight. Because this man Paul had been on his way to Damascus at the time. He was known as, the, as Saul. And he's on his way to Damascus to capture any Christians he could find. But on his way, he meets Jesus. Jesus changes his life and he blinds him. The Lord tells Ananias, I want you to go into the city. I want you to go find Paul because he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Over and over, we have seen Paul chased, beaten, arrested. Over and over, he pushes forward the proclamation of the gospel. He even said as he spoke with the Ephesian elders in chapter 20 and verse 22, he says, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Paul didn't know the exact details of what was coming, but he knew it was going to be difficult. We talked about it last week. He could have run away. He could have just not gone to Jerusalem. He could have just stopped. But Paul had already declared, I do not account my life of any value or as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry of, that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Though what was before him was hard and treacherous, Paul didn't shrink from the call nor from the people. Even as he headed on this trip, he wanted to gather with other Christians to pray and worship and just enjoy the fellowship of being with other Christians. There is a great value and grace given to us in the gathering of the saints. This right here, Sunday morning, this is not an obligation. This is not a to-do list item. This is not a burden. This is a blessing. It is something we get to do, not something we have to do. If your typical way of viewing a Sunday morning is to show up right as the church, right as service or right after service started, and then to hightail it out of here as soon as we're done, and you think, boom, all right, did my good work, did my attendance, God was paying attention, he saw me, I'm good for this week or maybe even this month, I don't have to take care of anything else, I can go back to my rest of the rest of my normal life. If that's your view of Sunday mornings, you have completely missed a vital element of the faith you claim to hold. This gathering, along with things like community groups and potlucks and prayer nights and game nights, these are blessings and opportunities to strengthen your faith and strengthen the body of Christ. Because when you disconnect from the body, when you disconnect from the community, when you refuse to engage in relationship building, you are not only denying yourself the gift of being encouraged and strengthened and built up by your brothers and sisters, you are denying your brothers and sisters of what God wants to use you for in their lives. Right? If we believe none of this is accident, God is in control of all things at all times. There are no coincidences. There is no luck. God is in control, right? If we really believe that, and we believe that we are here this morning for a reason, how do you know that reason isn't just about you? What if the reason God has got you here this morning is to encourage somebody else? 
What if the reason God has got you here this morning is to pray with someone else, to reflect and illuminate the love and grace of God to someone else? Maybe it's not just about God speaking to you, but God using you to speak to somebody else. But instead of stepping into good works, which God has prepared beforehand for you to glorify Christ in, too often you decide it's more important to get out of here as soon as going peace is laid out. So obviously, not like there's life, right? And there's appointments and there's meetings and there's things we got to get to. What's your heart? What's your drive? What's the reason you're part of a community like this? Is it to be engaged with the people of God to strengthen and build up and lift up one another? Or is your participation here just to try and fill out some kind of self-created spiritual scorecard that you have in your mind? Are you willing to follow the Spirit's leading in your life, even in these moments? Are you willing to get quiet and listen to Him and actually step into the moments He has invited you into, even when they might be inconvenient or intrusive to your routine? Which leads to an interesting question that we have here in these opening verses of chapter 21. There's a conflict that appears to happen in regards specifically to Paul and his connection to the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 4. Having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days, and through the Spirit they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. There were some with Paul who the Holy Spirit spoke to, and what the Holy Spirit told them was, there is danger in store for Paul in Jerusalem. And so these people tell Paul, don't go. Then again, if you skip down to verses 10, 11, and 12, we see the prophet Agabus shows up. Agabus is somebody from chapter 11. He was, uh, he was proclaiming that a famine was coming into the land. Agabus proceeds to go old school, Old Testament prophet, who the Old Testament prophets, they would do like real physical, ram physical metaphors for what God was trying to tell the Israelites. And Agabus kind of takes their lead. He takes Paul's belt, and it's not like our belt where it's just like this piece. A belt back then would loop around and even kind of sometimes go over your shoulder. It was a much longer piece of leather. And he does a little bit of gymnastics where he takes this long belt. I don't know how he gets it off of Paul, but he takes this long belt, and he proceeds to basically hogtie himself. He wraps it around his wrists, wraps it around his feet. He binds himself. And he says, whoever owns this belt, everybody knew it was Paul's, and then it was probably kind of an awkward transition there. He says, the owner of this belt is going to end up like this if they go to Jerusalem. And again, the friends of Paul hear this and tell him, do not go. So if you don't see it, here's the conflict. In Acts 19.21, Paul resolved in the Spirit, decided by, was led by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. In Acts 20.22, Paul said he was constrained by the Spirit, bound by the Spirit, captive by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And yet in chapter 21, we have multiple people speaking under the direction and influence of the Holy Spirit, telling Paul, do not go to Jerusalem. Paul hears from the Holy Spirit and it says, go to Jerusalem. Other people hear from the Holy Spirit and they tell Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. So what's happening here? Has the Holy Spirit changed his mind? Did Paul hear it wrong? Or maybe the Holy Spirit got it wrong the first time? Well, it can't be that because we know the Spirit doesn't get things wrong. It doesn't change. He doesn't change his mind, so it can't be that. Are these people speaking into Paul's life truly not led by the Spirit? Maybe it just appears like they hear from the voice of God. Maybe they hear, they think they're hearing from the Holy Spirit, but really they're not. Well, we have nothing in the text to tell us that that could be the possibility. 
And if we start to then try and judge every different time it says that the Spirit is speaking through someone, we now have to go and evaluate every time, and, and now we're having to challenge everything in Scripture and throw out everything in Scripture. So it can't be that because the Bible doesn't contradict itself. Is Paul just rebelling against the Holy Spirit? Hopefully this year we're going to study Jonah. Jonah hears from God. I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, nope, I'm going the other way. By ignoring these people with prophetic gifts, is Paul going against the will of God? Again, no. He's being led by the Spirit this whole time. Even when he has traveled, we saw when he wanted to go into Asia, he wanted to go into Ephesus, the Holy Spirit kept him from going, and he had to continue on into Greece. He has submitted to the Holy Spirit at every turn. So then, what is happening here? How do we have this conflict? It comes back to relationships. People who love and respect Paul and are also Christians who have the Holy Spirit in them received words from God confirming what Paul already knew, that Jerusalem was going to be treacherous for him. And because of the love and respect these individuals had for Paul, they urged him not to go. If I told you I was going on a trip, and you looked at the weather forecast for where I was going, and it was pretty horrible storms were going to hit while I was gone. And I told you where I was going to stay when I went on this trip, and you looked up the hotel, and you found out that it is closed for bedbugs. And I told you what I was going to do on this trip, and I wanted to go to this amusement park, and that you found out that it had been sold and turned into a parking lot. You take all that information, you gather all of that, and say to me, Tim, don't go on that trip. I have a really good reason to believe it's going to be a really bad trip for you. That's what's happening with these prophets. They take the word that they had heard. They take the reality that Jerusalem is going to be dangerous for Paul. And based on their love for him, they tell him, do not go. For his safety, for possibly even his life, they urge him not to go. See, the information they had was correct. The word from God was correct. The motive for their warning was good. They loved Paul. They want him to be safe. But ultimately, their interpretation of the will of God was incorrect. See, we tend to approach big decisions or big situations, and we take it to God in prayer, and we pray something like this. I have prayed this prayer, and I'm sure you have too. God, if this is your will, I want you to remove any doubt. I want you to remove every, any hindrance. I want you to open every door, make it 100% clear and obvious that this is the way you want me to go. We pray and ask God to clear the path completely. And so we start to make decisions, and, and if that path, that decision, that situation has some speed bumps in it, has some hindrances, has some messiness to it, then we immediately say, well, it's not from God. It can't be his will. His will it's not his way. Because we like comfort, and we like ease, and we like clarity, and we abhor conflict. We connect uncomfortable with counter to God's will. But that's just not always the case. Matthew 14, Jesus sends the disciples into a boat and tells them to go across the sea when the disciples and Jesus and everybody else knew there was a storm coming. The disciples go out onto the sea. The storm hits. The boat is getting thrown around. These are professional fishermen, and they are getting beat up by this storm. And then Jesus comes walking on the water. And it's a story where Jesus is walking on the water, and Peter sees him and says, Lord, if that's really you, if you tell me to come, I can get out of this boat and I can walk on water. And Jesus says, let's do it. Come on. 
And Peter gets out, and they have this moment where Peter's walking on the water with Jesus, and then Peter gets overwhelmed by the storm. He starts to slip into the water and drown. He calls out for Jesus. Jesus saves him. And then they have this conversation. They get back in the boat, and everybody starts to worship God, saying, truly, you are the Son of God, because nobody else could do that. God orchestrated it so that one day this young boy named David is delivering food and supplies to his brothers in the midst of a battle with the Philistines. And as the army hid and complained about this giant Goliath challenging them to a fight, David went and was used to teach Israelites and himself about the power of God. I mean, David himself, he writes Psalm 23, right? As I walk, he says, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He knew God was with him. Yes, he had a relationship with God. Yes, he's a man after God's own heart, and yet he found himself in the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes there are things that God wants to teach us, and he is going to use whatever he has to in order to make that happen, including the dark, the uncomfortable, the unknown, and the hard. Paul said, the Spirit has told me afflictions and imprisonment await me. Someone else hears from the Holy Spirit. The same thing. They tell Paul, Paul, don't go. Afflictions and imprisonment await you. Agabus shows up. Paul, you're going to get bound. Don't go. Everybody says, Paul, don't go. And he responds to them in verse 13. What are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. Why are you making this harder than it needs to be? Don't you guys understand? Don't you get it? Don't you understand? I'm willing to not only go to prison, but if I lose my life in Jerusalem, that's what's going to happen. His words echo the Apostle Peter at the Last Supper. When Jesus predicted that Peter was going to deny him, and Peter responds, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Paul says, I am bound by the Spirit. I'm connected. The Spirit says, I got to go, so I'm going to go. And it doesn't matter how many more of you come and tell me the same thing. I know what's coming for me, and I know, and I'm okay with it because I trust God. Daniel, don't pray to anybody but King Darius. Daniel, close those windows. Don't pray in front of those windows. You're going to end up in the lion's den. I'm going to do it anyway. Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego, don't you hear the music? It's playing. Hit your knees. Bow to King Nebuchadnezzar. Bow to the golden statue. You're going to end up in that fiery furnace. All right. We'll bring the marshmallows. Jesus, do you hear the people crying for your blood? Are you or are you not the king of the Jews? My kingdom is not of this world. Peter, stop preaching about the way. Stop preaching about this Jesus or you're going to die. Is it better for me to listen to you or to God? You decide, but I cannot stop speaking about what I have seen and heard. Just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not from God. And the flip side of that coin is just because it's easy doesn't mean it is from God. So then how do we gain a discerning spirit? And that's not to say Agabus and these prophets didn't have a discerning spirit. I think they just loved Paul. How do we gain a discerning spirit? We have to open and be people who are invested in this book prayerfully considering what God is saying to us, actually going to listen and hear from him. We have to be a people who enter into prayer with God, not because it's before a meal or because it's church time, but just to be in conversation with the God of all existence. 
We have to be people who are willing to get input from other people who have the Holy Spirit. Other Christians who are also pursuing Christ. Ask them for their wisdom. Pray to God and ask for wisdom and discernment. And when God leads you, even when it's dark and scary, when he speaks, show up and respond. Trust him. Trust his leading. It may not always make logical sense or worldly sense. It may lead you into uncomfortable and into hard and strenuous places. But if you are willing to follow and trust the will of God in your life, you will not be alone. He will be with you and you will have the opportunity to see God moving in and through you and around you in ways that you could have never dreamed. Paul finally says, I'm going to Jerusalem. And what we're going to find out in the coming weeks is that, yeah, it does go very poorly for him. But because of that, he is given an even larger platform to proclaim the gospel. He says, I'm going no matter what. And the crew finally says in verse 14, they pray the same prayer that we should be praying every day. Let the will of the Lord be done. May that be our prayer every day in our lives. After this, they finally actually get up to Jerusalem. And while they're there, Paul Paul's time is once again driven by relationship and people. It says in verse 17, when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related related one by one things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Paul's back with some of the elders, James included. They get to spend time celebrating what God had done through his ministry. They get to spend time catching up and and just celebrating. Paul gets to share what God had been doing through his ministry to the Gentiles, how the gospel had moved, how lives were being changed, how entire cities, right? Cities like Ephesus were being completely overhauled by the gospel. It's always good to stop and take time to celebrate what God has done, to write, write things down. If you don't journal, journal. Keep a list. Remember the times you see God move in your life. And then spend time every once in a while just sitting and celebrating and remembering those things. Because when life gets hard and messy and ugly, we can go back to those moments. We can go back to those times and say, I know this is temporary. This too shall pass because I've seen God move in mighty ways in my life. But in the midst of this celebration of the work of God, an issue is brought up that needs to get resolved. There's this rumor going around Jerusalem that Paul has been telling people, telling the Jews that they don't need to obey the law of Moses, that they no longer should circumcise their children, which was a sacred mark of the Israelites, and they no longer need to obey the customs of the Jewish people. Go do what you want because of the gospel. And the elders tell Paul, look, those who hold tightly to the law, those who, yes, they love Jesus, but they still love the law, they still love what the, what the law has brought, the, the order and structure and function to our people. They know, they have this rumor that you're telling people to go against the law, Paul, and they know you're here, and I think that could end poorly for you. Now, this wasn't true. Now, yes, Paul championed, championed that the Gentiles did not need to be circumcised. The champions, the Gentiles did not need to become Jewish to be saved, right? And we had that whole conflict. And in regards to the Jewish converts to Christianity, Paul does not say you don't have to follow the law. In fact, in Romans 14, he says each should do as they are convinced. Meaning, look, if you want to follow the law, you want to lean into it, fine. If you don't, you want to be done with the law, that's okay too. 
as long as on whatever side you land, you don't try and use it to become proud or arrogant or that you would put your faith in your own actions or your own inactions to save you and make you a better, more holy Christian. Just realize that it is faith alone in Christ alone that saves you. But sometimes we like our check marks a little too much. We use them to try and decide who is and isn't a good Christian who does all the right things at the right time. Or some people like to go and rebel against the check marks. They rebel on the principle of, I'm free from all of the rules and regulations of religions. I'm under grace. And so they think that they're a better, more Christ-like Christian because they push back against the system like Jesus did. When in fact, all it is is that they don't like authority and they have some baggage attached to it and so they're not willing to submit. The elders say, look, Paul, there's this rumor. There's people that are going to be upset that you're here, but we have a way that we think can help you avoid all of this. He says, there are these four men taking the right, taking a Nazarene vow to abstain from wine, to avoid uh, defiling contact, and to not cut their hair. It's this extended period of time. It's this commitment of time to the Lord. When someone was done with their vow, they would go into the temple, they would finally cut their hair off, and they would give an offering to the temple as a way of supporting and saying, okay, I've made this vow and I'm giving back to God. And as a way to support those people taking this vow, oftentimes people from within the community would offer, would give the offering on their behalf, would support them financially. The elders tell Paul he should purify himself because, you know, Paul, you've been traveling a lot. You've been engaging with the Gentiles a bunch. You smell like bacon. You're going to need to go take a shower. You're going to need to go through the process of going through the spiritual purification system so that you can come into the temple and go with these men and give the offering on their behalf. And I think if you did that, then everybody would see that you're not against the law. You wouldn't, you're not against the customs. So, Paul, why don't you do this? And he does. He takes the men, they went to the temple, he pays their offering, and they all go through the purification system. Now, I don't know how Paul felt, felt about going through this process, but we do know, 1 Corinthians 9, that when it came to things like this, Paul always had bigger thoughts in mind. He says in 1 Corinthians 9, for, through, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, and I might win more of them. To the Jews I became a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as an outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, and that, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. Paul does what he does that it would give him an audience with whoever it was he was dealing with to present the gospel. It wasn't just to placate egos or to be seen as cool or charming or wanted, but so that he could push through barriers and present the gospel to anyone and everyone. He was willing to do what was needed, whether it was stand in the Oropagus and talk philosophy and poetry or go to the temple and be part of a purification process. All so that he would have the chance to tell somebody that God came to earth to die and rise again for them, that new life was being offered to them, and hope and joy could be theirs if they put their faith in Jesus. Do you live in such a way? Do you engage with people in such a way that you have the opportunity to share Jesus, or do you just try to blend in and connect and hope you don't have to answer any questions? A love for people and a love for God, these are the things that drove Paul. 
He loved people because he loved God. He shared the gospel because it is the best way you can show someone that you care about them by offering them the most important piece of information you ever could. To love God and love people, these are the greatest commandments given to us. They should be the driving force of every Christian, of every church, of every interaction that we have. Paul was going to follow God anywhere, anywhere the Spirit led him, even when he saw up ahead was dark and cloudy. He deliberately walked into the storm because he knew that to do so was to trust God, and in trusting God, it was to glorify God. May we always walk in the will of God, because to do so means that we love God and we love people and we trust in the God who made us and knows us and loves us so much he sent his son to die for us. Love and trust your maker. May we always be led by these things and driven to live in to the love and trust of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning and this opportunity to worship and to celebrate and to engage with you. God, help us to get out of our routines. Help us to have eyes that see. Help us to cut through the noise, God. There is so much noise, some of it even created on our own accounts, that distract us from the world around us. And yet you have these moments, you have these opportunities set up so that we can step into them and glorify you and be used by you. And so often we avoid them, we ignore them, we just miss them because we're not paying attention. God, you told us the greatest commandments to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love people. God, those are important and they are hard at times. God, help us to love you. Help us to love people. Help us to trust that even when you lead us into places that we get uncomfortable, places that we don't understand, places that seem like we took the wrong turn, help us to trust that we're following you. Help us to trust that you know what's best for us. God, give us a hunger and thirst to know you more so that we can actually hear that Spirit, so we can actually find ourselves in these confusing places because we know we're being led by the Spirit. But for that to happen, God, we got to have hearts and minds that long to know you more. God, give us that. God, let us never be satisfied with where we are with our relationship with you. Let us always want more of you. Let us always want more of being connected to you. God, you have made us to be the lights of the world, to shine and point people to you. You have laid out ahead of time the good works. You are the one who saves. We are the ones who just need to show up and step in, and you are going to do the work. God, help us to show up and step in. God, we love you. We thank you for sending your son to die for us, and we pray, God, I pray that if anyone here doesn't know you, hasn't put their faith in Christ, that today would be that day where they would find hope, they would find joy and life eternal in you they would step into this new relationship with you. God, help us to go out and be these lights to the world. Amen.